Hey Queen fans, producer Sam here, just jumping on ahead of all the jazz goodness to let you know there was a small technical difficulty in the recording of this episode. All that means is we've had to use a backup recording for Rose Audio, so we may sound a bit more muffled than usual, but don't worry, we've still got awesome chat and plenty of Queen. Great loud of course. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Queen Pod, the only podcast in the world with Queen playing all the way through it. It's amazing. I'm your host, Ro, and only our team is the real team. So last Tuesday, I saw her down on the beach. I stood and watched a while, and she looked at me and she said, what the f*** are you looking at? It's comedian Suze Kuttner. Hello. I apologise for being so hostile. I gave you a, uh, you know, an extravagant one today, I thought, Suze. Thank you. It's just... Actually, it's quite difficult to find a lyric that doesn't kind of seem like it will end up being creepy. So if it has okay, done, I well, what a winning endorsement for this side of the album. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> He's a sex machine ready to reload. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. <laughs> Thank you very much. Battery's charged. That. Battery's charged, ready to reload. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. And fool got no business, so he takes his living where he can. We have the mighty comedian John Robbins with us today. Hooray! Hey, everyone. Hey, John, how are you? It's lovely to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. We are looking at side B of jazz. So if you haven't heard us talk about side A of jazz, literally go back to the previous episode. Have a listen to that uh, as we talk about this wonderful album. Um, And we're getting into the second half of it today, which is some exciting, exciting stuff. Um, you might find that my cold is really going to mess with the sound levels. Let's blame the cold this week. Let's blame that. <laughs> um, all right, should we kick off with Queen of the Champions? We are the champions. We are the champions. Do we have a Queen moment we want to share? John, didn't you do a marvellous interview with someone recently yes a big (laughs) queen moment for me we interviewed uh brian for the podcast i do with ellis on five live called how do you cope and we talked to brian a great depth actually i was really amazed by how candid he was spoke to him about his various emotional struggles throughout the years um how he's dealt with those and how um there some of them are reflected in back to the light and another world Spoke to him about time he took away uh, to sort of focus on himself. We talked about John Deacon. Really? Yeah, which was wow. very, very interesting. You know, he he didn't sort of... He, he's always very good at not speaking to John's experience, but certainly spoke a lot about uh, how difficult it was losing John from the band so soon after Freddie. Um yeah, it was it was a remarkable conversation. I'm really excited for everyone to hear it as well. I can't How wait long for it to be really about an hour and a half, maybe wow. Like twenty wow. minutes. Amazing. Yeah, is it he, coming out in April? That will probably come out. Uh, yeah, it'll definitely be out in April. I think at some point, because okay. uh, we've released two episodes so far. 
and I think Brian's will be the sort of fourth or fifth episode. Okay, so we've got like three weeks top, Simon, to get Brian on this pod so we can because I'm. And we just talk to him about all the same things. Okay, so that's that's an affirmation. I'm taking that as a clear affirmation in writing. (laughs) That's awesome, John. That seems really, really cool. Um, It sounds also like you were asking him a lot of questions that I think maybe he doesn't normally get asked as well. It sounds like you kind of um, managed to get into it properly. Yeah, uh, and we were able to talk about um, the impact of. Freddie's illness and Freddie's death without it feeling like it was sort of just another interviewer out for some kind of, uh, you know, morbid scoop on Freddie, it, mm. which I think has happened to him in the past. So I was quite mm. conscious of not like, uh, of not pushing for any sort of uh, sort of tabloid angle, really. Yeah. But it was about Brian's experience and how he coped and what he's found helpful and what he's found unhelpful. Yeah, something I noticed about him last year is that he doesn't want to, generally, he doesn't want to see questions in advance. I think he likes to respond to them in the moment Mm -hmm. and organically. And so I think if you have uh, a a smarter set, a less uh, cliche set of questions, um, then you will get a richer result with him because he's just an engaged and interested human being. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true with any sort of person who does a lot of interviews is you definitely get their attention and perhaps the best answers if you don't ask them the obvious stuff or or certainly don't lead with the obvious stuff. Yeah. I think it's always good if your first question to someone is like the first time they've been asked that. Because yeah. then they suddenly go, oh, hello, these people are interested and they've paid attention to my work or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm just phoning it in. Really cool. Well, congratulations, man. I know yeah, can't kind of wait to hear it. That happened for a long time, so well Thank done. Thank you. Um, very, very cool. Uh, I have mostly been watching Lego Masters Australia, which means, and if you haven't seen Lego Masters Australia, it is a great tonic for the absolute appalling state of the world. I highly recommend it. It means I haven't encountered that much Queen over uh, the last couple of weeks since we last recorded. However, I know I mentioned this on the last pod, but uh, I did go to um, uh, a funeral last week for uh, our dear friend Paul Byrne, and it opened, the whole thing opened with this beautiful version of um, Under Pressure by Karen O from the AAS and Willie Nelson. I don't know if you guys have heard that version. It's sort of like, you know, these songs that get birdified. It's one of those, but it is actually incredibly moving and sweet and um that was probably my queen moment actually it was just that reminder of oh yeah no this is um first and foremost a queen fan here you know what i mean it was uh, it was a very special moment pressure pushing down on me pressing down on you no man asked for under pressure that burns a Puts a family in two, puts people on streets. That's okay. It's a terror of knowing. I don't think there's a huge amount of news to go over. We talked about uh, another world coming. It's coming out on the uh, 22nd of April, so by the time you listen to this, you 
probably already got it on your Spotify or iTunes, whatever you have it on. Um, but what we would like to do is thank our wonderful patrons. Um, if you go along to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod, uh, you will be able to see how to get involved, how to support us. It's not very expensive, and we do try and generate as many treats for you as possible. Some of those treats include getting a badge and a postcard from us, but it also means that you will get your name shouted out on this very pod. So let us kick that off. Uh, I am going to thank the wonderful Michelle Viglianti. Is it Viglianti or Viglianti? I'm going to go with Viglianti. I hope I've got that right, Michelle. Thank you for your support. I want to say a big thank you to Paul Bradbury. Cheers, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, good one, Paul. Uh, Paul is very active on our Facebook Queen Pod fan page thing uh, and does loads of fun stuff. He's a good man. Uh, and who are you thanking, Simon? Well, uh, for me, this week's Mr. Fahrenheit is Nigel Lewis. So thank you, ah, Nigel. Wonderful stuff. Nice one, Nigel Lewis. And John? Uh, today, I'd like to thank Lisa Malloy. Thank you, oh, Lisa. Wonderful. wonderful Lisa Malloy. Uh, I think, I hope I've got this right. I think she might be all the way out in New Zealand. It might be Australia. If it is Australia, then forgive me. Um, <laughs> or I've got it completely wrong. But I have seen lots and lots of Lisa getting involved with... Uh, stuff on Patreon and on Facebook. It's wonderful stuff. Um, so, yeah, jump in. Get involved. Look, let's just talk about some Queen songs. Yeah, I think that's what we should do. Let's talk about Queen songs. So we're on the side B of Jazz, which was released on the 10th of November 1978. Uh, which was a good time. And uh, Mr. Simon Lupton gave us a wonderful little historical context for uh, the uh, album on the last episode. But I think you have some some colour to fill in for us here. I, I have, absolutely. Um, yes, so as uh, our dear listeners know, that it's normally this is the bit where I sit here and waffle on about what Queen were up to from a live perspective. Um, and so in that respect, when Jazz is released in November 1978, uh, the band are on a seven-week, 35-show North American tour. Um, and some of the songs from the new album uh, have been worked into the set list. Um, one change worthy of note, which I found quite interesting, um, but that could just be me, um, is this is the first tour where the band's final encore is now one of their own compositions rather than a cover. Because previously, the likes oh. of Jailhouse Rock had always closed the show, but now it's their own stuff. Oh, wow. Ah. So there you go. Okay. Um, but I'm going to actually stop there because the set list for this tour is rapidly becoming the one that makes up the Live Killers album. And in January 1979, Queen embark on their biggest European tour to date, 28 shows in seven countries over six weeks. Um, with 19 of those shows being properly recorded by engineer John Etchells for Live Killers. Now, we are planning an extra special pod on Live Killers, so I'll save the tales from that tour uh, until then. But there is still plenty going on in the world of Queen for us to chat about. One particularly significant event is the launch of the jazz album in New Orleans on October the 31st, 1978. Uh, this party is a legendary occurrence in Queen folklore and those present recount stories of things like crates of champagne waiting in their hotel rooms on arrival and it's 
pretty much goes downhill from there. Um, the bill for the event was about two hundred thousand pounds and had four hundred guests. I've Ooh, seen photos. It's Seventy-eight. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, I've seen photos of the party, and there's a fantastic rock and roll mix of exotic dancers with snakes, strippers, unicyclists, naked mud wrestlers, drag artists, fire eaters, and New Orleans jazz bands. Uh, Roger tells a great story of one act being um, a man who lay on one of the buffet tables and covered himself entirely in meat. So as the guests approached with their plate and reached out to take some of the meat, he'd wriggle so the whole meat display would just wobble. <laughs> Roger said he got introduced to the man before the event and asked him what his act was and got the reply, I lay under meat. <laughs> that's, that's his act. Um, I've also read tales of a room at the back into which guests were admitted one at a time for extra special treatment. But um, as this is a family podcast, I think we'll leave that one there for now. Wow. Um, as many of you know, there's an infamous story of queen parties, in Gloy, including people of restricted growth, walking around with trays of cocaine balanced on their heads. And that seems to stem from this particular event. But as yet... No evidence has been forthcoming to confirm this, and it's something that has always been strenuously denied. Although, right. in my experience, quite often with a slight twinkle in the eye of the person doing the <laughs> denying. Um, so I guess we'll never know. So clearly what happens at a Queen party stays at a Queen party. I think it's true, because the, the guy under meat is weirder, and that's real. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I like the sound of the ham, man. I, the, the, I love the fact that the ham man is not strenuously denied. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, there was a man under ham. Um, well, how, how did he come into? Yeah, how did you get into that, mate? <laughs> did he get hired to do it? Or... Well, there you go, kids. Yeah. There's there's a job for everyone out there. Uh, you just got to find it. Got to find your Wonderful. thing. Um, Wonderful. The band had wisely scheduled two days off in the touring schedule after this and uh, the people there were having such a great time they never actually got round to playing the guests the album which was supposed to be the whole point <laughs> no um, and finally I'd just like to give a mention to our friends at the Queen Fan Club because on November the 11th uh, they held their first convention back in 1978 oh, um, which wow. took place at the Empire Ballroom in London's Leicester Square it was hosted by Radio 1 DJ Alan Fluff Freeman and those attending were treated to a full playback of the new album the band also sent a telegram from the US which was read out to everyone it was only a half day event but started the trend of the annual convention that quickly grew to a three day affair and continues to this very day so does, big shout does. out to all the convention goers amazing well so we've had go. a little hiatus for the last two years but fingers crossed it will happen this year it would be really nice that would be nice 78 goes all the way back to that yeah. With Alan Freeman, I love that. <laughs> there you go. That's all from me. Bop the goos. All right. Um, fantastic stuff. All right. Well, thought we should just have a little chat about the thing that um, that uh, we touched on this a little bit on the last episode, but I think it's worth having a chat because we've got John with us now. Um, John, uh, this is the last album uh, of the No Synth era. Mm hmm. And uh, one of the things that I think is quite interesting about the album is how it's a bridging album from that sort of 70s era sound into the 80s era sound. And I actually think this side of the album is a really good example of how bridgy it is. Like it's still very much 70s Queen, but we're starting to hear sounds that we're going to hear more of on the game 
and further in. Do you have anything to say on that? I think it's sort of styles as well as sounds. I think perhaps the that bridging element of it does make it feel a bit uneven at places. Mm. Like, I'm not sh- I think it's probably the first album where you don't get a sense that the band all share the same vision for what the album's mm. going to be. Right. Um, and, you know, there's there's contrast across the songs in a way that perhaps there really hasn't been before. I think one result of that is probably Dead on Time. Oh, yeah. Which I think only sounds like a Queen song for one second. <laughs> and it's a and it's at one minute twelve, and it's the bit bit where they go ooh no manner, <laughs> and I okay I think that's the only bit apart from the guitar sound which is obviously Brian because Brian is always Brian and you can you can tell his unique tone from a great distance. I think that when you listen to Dead on Time, you could probably name like a dozen other rock bands who could have written and played it. Whereas I think the rest of the album is perhaps more distinct. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Well, I, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion uh, this week because I think there's going to be songs that we fully disagree on. Like, I definitely fully disagree with you on what you just said about Dan on Time, for example. Though I accept your point of view. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you mean by that sounding a lot more like um, that era's kind of rock music. But I'm like, no, it's Freddie and and Brian and Roger and John definitely very, very queen as well. Do you know what I mean? For me. Um, and I think there are going to be a lot of those across this uh, this half of the album. But what do you d- think, so? Oh, yeah, but, go on, John. Sorry, sorry, just one thing. Like, so many of the songs end with, end with something very odd happening in the last bar. <laughs> and, like, a whistle or... They're, they're, they're just, I just get the feeling they're not quite sure how, how to end the songs. So there are quite a few little sort of jokes uh, in the tracks. So it's very playful. I think what you're getting at, John, where I do definitely agree with you, is Queen are always eclectic. Like The Night of the Opera is an incredibly eclectic album. We talked about that. Sheer Heart Attack is incredibly eclectic. But it always feels designed and coherent in a way that maybe this this particular album is a little bit less so. And the band themselves have kind of said they're, they're less enamoured maybe with this album um, than other albums. What do you think, Sus? I think John's right. It doesn't hold together as a concept in the same way as A Night at the Opera and Day at the Races had. Sure. But I think um, News of the World had started going a bit that way, where it was oh, yes. more here are our 10... 10 plus or minus one tracks. Um, and I think jazz and... I always think of jazz and news of the world together. That's a bit of a pair, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that bridge. And yet, even when an album is maybe not... Up, for some people, up to the same level as some of the, their other albums, it's still packed with so much genius. Mm. So much yeah, I don't think it. that's it's what... It's. I don't think that detracts from those albums. Mm. Um, it just because they've got a number of distinctive songs on both uh but yeah they just don't it it's not like oh i know exactly what album that's from with mm-hmm. a lot of the songs well it's it's interesting actually because like this album is one of their longer ones and then the very next album they make the game is their shortest album oh like, really 39 minutes or something jazz so there was no, none of the, the songs are 
almost all under four minutes. They've, there's no epics on this one. Mm. Yes, but there are a lot of tracks. Yeah. Which is awesome. It, in fact, if you're just starting your Queen collection, jazz is not a bad place to go. Because Good you value. Get a lot of song <laughs> for, your, for your dollar. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, let's uh, have a listen to a section of Dead on Time. I think it's an absolute banger. I love it. Uh, we'll go from the solo through to the end of the track, I think. <laughs> that uh, glorious Thunderbolt is uh, credited to God. Uh, however, it was actually uh, recorded by Brian in a thunderstorm. It's a oh, legit wow. actual recording mm-hmm. that he made uh, himself uh, with some recording device. Yeah. And the reason I played that solo is I, I found a little thing that Brian said it's quite interesting about this song, um, which is he said um, that the speed of the solo was something that he was quite pleased with but really nobody else was. Um, it's something which nobody ever mentions very much. Fat Bottom Girls I thought was okay, but fairly banal, amazingly. I thought people would be much more interested in Dead on Time because it didn't really get that much airplay. The explosions at the end were a real thunderstorm which occurred when we were in the south of France, and I've got a tape recorder outside. Uh, also, another little uh, Easter egg in this song is right on that final chorus, you'll hear Freddie uh, say the words, keep yourself alive. Yeah. And on the liner notes, let's see if I can actually pull it out in case we've got this little bit on YouTube, but on the liner notes, if you look very carefully, I don't know which half of the detail. But in the lyrics, have I got this? Where is it? Uh, you can actually see that they have put Keep Yourself Alive in capitals. I don't know if you can make that out. Ah, uh, right. Computer. Um, but yeah, that's a very definite response sort of reference to their first album which is a nice thing um go on Suze where are you on uh on this track on this opening society I really loved it on this revisit of the album having paid it very little attention over the years I think it is um an interesting song because you can hear the five years of um maturity and confidence that they've gained since they did keep yourself alive 
Mm. So it's interesting that they throw in a call back to that. Um, and lyrically, and... it's thematically mm. in the same area, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Freddie's vocal is exceptional on it um, mm -hmm. from like the first second. With Should know, we just that... hear that little bit that you're talking about? Is that all right? Because I just love that bit. Where you go, So good. Is that the bit that you were talking about? <laughs> oh, I meant all of it, but yeah. <laughs> it's he, he, Freddie loved Aretha Franklin, and that's the sort of vocal tricks she would do. Oh, really? uh, and he's managed to put it into, managed to make it congruent with a hard rock song. Really? I, what kind of vocal tricks are you talking about? That's so that, that, um, the, you. You hear it now in singers like Christina Aguilera that the beginning of "Ain't No Other Man" when she just goes, "Hey," oh, yeah. and they they go across the vocal break where the vo where the voice would naturally want to flip into what often mistakenly gets called the head voice, but that thinner sound. Yeah. They have a way of navigating the break, and it's it, I mean it's basically just showing off, but. That's really cool. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds awesome as well. So cool. you can and, do it, that. and then you hear you later, you can hear um, Roger Taylor's really high notes on more of that jazz. You can hear the where he's flipped. So right. he doesn't navigate the yes. break. Um, yes. So he's got two different sounds in that. Yeah, song. we will hear that later, actually. Yeah. yeah, 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 right at the end of the song. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's an amazing bit. I love that. I, I, I think the thing about the song for me is. Um, I've used it in stage shows quite a bit. Um, there was a show, a magic show that we did with Ben Hanlon, which dear producer Sam was the magician's assistant on. Could you believe? <laughs> We've lived a life. We've lived a life, haven't we, Sam? Yeah. He'd stick his head strapped into a tank of water and he'd have a minute to escape. The moment the timer starts, I'd kick in with Freddie going, and, play, and you would just feel the whole audience mm. just lift because they, like, they know it's Freddie. <laughs> they know it must be Queen. They also, it's likely not a song that they know. If they do know it, they're really excited, but mostly they don't. They're like, what is this? And it just has this amazing ability to get everyone mm, it's like, very on hyper. the edge of their city panicking. <laughs> yeah, I used mm. it a lot in 60 Hours or 60 Minutes as well, where you want everyone to kind of come out on a buzz. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant track. And I think the lyrics um, of the older I get become more and more relevant. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's actually quite potent uh, lyrically. I I love this track to bits. I don't know if you can tell. John Lesso. Yeah, you're out of your mind. I don't know what you two are talking about. <laughs> this is, song is nothing like "Keep Yourself Alive." I mean, if this song is is as you said, all of the band members being Queen. Answer me one question, Ro. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the song about? Oh, oh, that's easy. That is easy. That's a very easy, easy question to answer. It is about the fact 
that all the way through life, you're constantly keeping yourself double busy. I've got stuff to do, I've got stuff to do, and you're getting on with stuff, and you, you're in that rat race, and you're kind of getting through it. And then before you know what's happened, you've died. That's the end of your life. You've wasted your entire life without ever stopping to smell the bloody roses. It's really clear what the song's about. I don't think it really is clear. I, I, think, I, I to... think John's right. It does sound like a, they wrote the lyrics in a jam and then went, that'll do. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, no, that's a, that's not necessarily criticism, but it does yeah. feel like a jam song that they just sort of riffed. It's, I think you have to know who the song is about for the song to make sense. And... Oh, come on, fool. Got my business, take your living where you can, hurry down the highway, hurry down the road, hurry past people staring, hurry, hurry, hurry. Got to get on, leave on time, leave on time. It's about those, like, it's about that rat race commuter life, isn't it? Of just constantly, like, never stopping to actually live your life. And then before you, you've uh, stopped and looked around, I you, you've don't died. think it, I think it's about someone who got a comp to their gig <laughs> who is like either a lawyer or selling them insurance oh and who didn't stay around to say thank you for the show. I guarantee you that is what this song is about. <laughs> That's brilliant. You guarantee me that yeah. the song is about a businessman running late for a Queen gig? No, going to a Queen gig, not yeah. paying for their ticket and then leaving before the end and not saying thank you. <laughs> leave on time, leave on time. Never got your ticket, but you leave on time. Leave on time, leave on time. Going to get your ticket, but you leave on yeah, time. Okay. Do you know what? The beautiful thing about Queen is that the lyrics are always open to interpreter. They can mean, they've always intended it to mean what you wanted to mean. But I I, I, I feel like you've drafted a, a narrative on there that is, is, it's beautiful, John. And I don't want to disabuse you of that. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful image. What, what a story, what a tale. Um, but it's not like the imagery isn't as interesting as Keep Yourself Alive. There's not really, it, the song doesn't really take place anywhere. It takes place in a busy life. Like the song, the song is super fast. It's one of their fastest, fastest, rockiest track. In fact, Suze, it's, it's pretty close to Stone Cold Crazy in terms of its energy well, and Well, I have sound. been running around a lot this week. Right, so, right. And it'd be yeah. because you've got Dead on Time running around yeah, in so, your ears. <laughs> yeah, really fast. All right, brilliant. Well, I, I think we've covered that. <laughs> They never played it live, did they? Which is surprising because yeah. it does sound like a live track. Yeah, bits of it would sort of appear in Brian's solos, but no, they never uh, right. played that particular track live. Yeah, it, does, it, it feels like a, a concert track. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's an oh, amazing right. track um, for some of us. Um, however, <laughs> we are now moving on to a John Deacon's second contribution to this album, uh, which is In Only Seven Days. Let's listen to that.
Because I'm Pink Craig David by about three decades. Very cool <laughs> stuff. Um, it was the B side to Don't Stop Me Now. Uh, Simon, mm. where are you on in Only Seven Days? Did you have it in your little top 10 John Deacon songs? I think I probably did. I can't remember my top 10 John Deacons now, but I, it just strikes, it's just so sad, isn't it? Because I think, I think John does write from, from experience and, and what he's been through and. You know, for you're my best friend, for example, was written about his wife, and I can only imagine that he went on a week's holiday, and this terrible sort of you know situation of falling in love with someone from afar, actually plucking up the courage to speak to them, and then Sunday's got to go home. It actually happened to him, and I, I just want to give him a hug yeah. and say it'll be all right. You know, <laughs> feel slightly less sympathetic about you're my best friend if he's then gone on holidays, falling in love with someone else for a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm I'm assuming that he's 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 channeling a, a you know a previous encounter. Mm. <laughs> but, the yeah. final lyric of the song is literally "Ooh, so sad and low." Yeah, so, I, I can just imagine little John on the beach with his trousers rolled up, going for a paddle with his sort of hanky tied in knots around his head, <laughs> looking over to see a beautiful woman lying down and falling in love with his little fishing oh. net. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful image. Yeah. That's stunning. That is beautiful, John. That's um, that's deeply. But um, Suze, where are you on in only seven days? I, I could do you do prefer it. the Craig David version? <laughs> you queen. I I don't care for either. Sorry. I don't. Yeah, this song. I don't think it needs to be on the album. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Not at all. I feel like it feels like a song Alan Partridge would write. Suze oh, Kempner! <laughs> my goodness. I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> well, do you not find it at least... Like the fa- my favourite bit is when he goes, Wednesday, didn't see her. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like this is going to get the wrath of, um, of many the fans, fans who can't yeah, stand it when I get, get a single word today. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of podcast. course. But yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm sort of with you, actually, Suze. But I think it works as a nice little palate cleanser between Dead on Time and Dreamers Ball. But I, John, do you, are you, you? You're quite enamoured with. This I love this song. <laughs> I love it so much. You love it. I listened to jazz was one of the first Queen albums I got, and I listened to it an awful lot when I was sort of between eleven and thirteen, and. I remember when I was 12 was the first time I really sort of fell for this girl at my school. And I think there's a real similarity between sort of childhood crushes and holiday romances because... Did you set that crush to this song? Oh, t- uh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK, fair play. Yeah. And also, I moved out of my childhood home when I was, I think, 11. So leaving home and easy is a, mm. was another one. So those are two, like emotional soundtracks to me but I think mm. you know if you take the summer holidays for example and you might see the girl you like two or three times maybe when you're walking to the leisure center or when you're playing football in the field she might just walk past with some friends and it's that sort of I guess the difference to me of it, it it sounds a bit more like it was reciprocated for 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 John in this song mm. to an extent and it sounds like it really wasn't for you and you're not really over oh it. no not at all but I, <laughs> oh, yeah I listened to it you. I listened to it loads 
Oh, okay. So you've got a profound emotional collection. In fact, so I feel a little bit empowered to do this after you've just written off uh, Dead on Time as not a queen song. <laughs> it's not. It's not. There's <laughs> only one second song. of it. It's a massive queen song. It's full of shredding guitars and it's awesome. Um, but in only seven days, I find that the melody is that sort of melody that you kind of you can just do yourself while you're sort of painting a fence, you know, when you're sort of going do, 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 do. It doesn't quite put me in, but it is short and it is beautiful in its own little way. Like, it's, I don't hate on it, but I think like Suze, I might have been skipping this track a little bit because I was setting my... Uh, basically, I was in love with a businessman who was late for a Queen gig. At that age. Uh, he was on time so for the I Queen just, gig. I he just, just left without letter. saying thank you for his ticket. He was he was incredibly rude and uh, was was never really uh, uh, particularly grateful for anything actually. Um, and I'm not over that. So, you know, in a way, we've mirrored each other. Um, uh, John actually. John Deacon, I should say, not John Robbins, played uh, uh, the acoustic and the electric guitars on the song as well. And you can kind of hear that a little bit, even in that little bit that we played where some of that acoustic guitar almost works like a bass line. It's lovely. It is lovely in lots of ways, but it is a slight, a slighter song for me. But that's what I mean about this album. There is a song that John absolutely adores, Simon's on board with, and Susan and I are like, because <laughs> we're yeah. cool you know what I mean and that's great that's why we love Queen right that's what it's all about and yes I imagine that the uh, Queen um, uh, Queen pod listener platforms are all going to go what do you mean you don't like it yeah we're just um, but... with me it's alright I'll, <laughs> I'll take the hit no I am 100% with you Suze I genuinely like yeah, but they won't feel that way no that's right that's... do you know why that is it's because I'm a bloke. <laughs> That's why it is. Here's a question. Yeah. Is this the Queen album side that you get furthest into before you find a song they played live? <gasps> oh, Ooh, interesting. Question. Well, they definitely played Dreamer's Ball live, didn't they? And that's the next track. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't they, know. They, yeah, Dreamer's Ball was on Live Killer, so okay. we're three tracks in. But it's an interesting question. Which Queen album can you get most songs into on one side before you get to a song they played live? Yeah. Anyway, no. no. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was very bad taste. That was very, very No, bad. factual. I apologise. <laughs> I apologise. Um, no, it's a good question, John. That is a very, very good question. I'm, I'm looking forward to next week's podcast, which will be hosted by John Robbins and Simon Lupton. <laughs> Look, let's move on to a track that I think we will all agree is an absolute gorgeous number um, called The Dreams Ball by Brian May, um, which he wrote as a tribute to the great Elvis Presley, uh, the king, uh, who had died in 77, just the previous year. Um, uh, so let's have a, a lovely listen to this, uh, the chorus and uh, Brian's lovely guitar solo, I think. Take me, take me, take me to the dreamer's bar mm, I'll be right on time and I'll dress so fine You're gonna love me when you see me, I won't have to It's all been true 
slightest smile Or destroy me with a belly perceptible lovely. Suze, have you sung this song, though? No. You've never sung? I thought this would be a song that you would be performing every every Monday night. No. Where am I on Mondays? That's what I record my podcast. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I think they'd find it weird if I did this every week. Just, yeah, no. Okay. Well, whichever night you've got your residency, I imagine, in a, in a very beautiful uh, kind of 20-star cabaret venue. Oh, okay. Well, I'll I'll um, pitch it. Either on the roof of something or on a on a bloody boat, mate. <laughs> oh, a residency on a boat on a Monday. I'll see yeah. singing Dreamers Ball. All right, I'll look into it. This song's this song's great. It is great, isn't it? <laughs> this song's really we great. We all agree this song's great, John. I think it's potentially the best song on the album. Ooh. I think you're right as well. Yes, yes, yes. Good stuff. Right, go on, Suze. Let's get into it. This oh, yeah. I just think, I think Brian's having a very strong album with jazz. Mm. He is actually. So you got mm. Fat Bottom Girls, yeah, um, and then that's the only one on that side, isn't it? But then he he wrote Dead on Time, yeah, he wrote Dreamers Ball, and we're going to get to Leaving Home Ain't Easy. But I think he's just having a very um, confident, strong album with jazz. He is, he is. His contributions to this album are really, really good, and even on other albums where you might feel that, like say, an album like Hot Space. Brian's still doing his thing. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? He always mm-hmm. does. I love that about him. Um, yeah, that's that's really true. Uh, it's it's a beautiful song. John, uh, you like it that much. Is this a second crush issue or No, I just think it's a I think it's the most coherent song on the on the album. I think it's like a cross between um my melancholy blues and yes. some of the guitar orchestrations from a night at the opera so like mm. seaside rendezvous or good company yeah it's a touch of millionaire's waltz in there as well isn't the the sound brian's getting on the guitar he's never quite in this song because like what he was doing on a night at the opera was lots of layers to create the sound of an orchestra whereas he's he's almost created this sound which you can interpret as lots of different instruments but I think it's almost like one of those m- muted trumpets, you know, when they have yes. what's that yes. thing in the end yeah, of a trumpet? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so clever. It's a really d- deft song, um, "Dreamers Ball," and I could listen, just listen to it again and again and again. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a song that pops into my head a lot, even when I'm not listening to, <laughs> to jazz. You know what I mean? They've written um, the perfect Elvis song. I know that's what it was inspired by, but yeah, he's he's literally written a perfect Elvis song. So can you explain to me how? Because I literally only realised that now while prepping for this pod. I never knew that it was an Elvis tribute and I wouldn't think of it as an Elvis Elvis tribute. How is it an Elvis song? Well, to put it really simply, I could just really hear him singing this. I could imagine this landing on his desk in 1962 or whatever and going, yes, <laughs> yes, it would yes, be please. Amazing, that's how, that's a good yeah. impression of Elvis. Yeah, he and it's thematically very Elvis, uh, lyrically sort of deceptively simple, which Elvis songs were as well. Um, incredibly catchy. It's yeah. again, you can't even really call it pastiche or tribute. They've just written a early sixties Elvis song. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, which is what they do. Like, yeah. It's that style of song and they nail it like yeah. they did with Bites the Dust for Disco mm. or... Um, and Crazy Little Thing Called Love, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, great example. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think what we should do is get in touch with the uh, Recovering Queen guys, the, 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 the other Queen podcast there, one of the other Queen podcasts, and they, they do covers, don't they? And we could yeah. Get, we'll ask them to do an Elvis version. Oh, of yeah, they should, oh, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be so cool. I'd love to hear that. Mm. The one thing I would say about this song is... The live version, and I know we're going to do live killers, but I think it's worth saying this. The live version of the song was quite different because Brian and Roger would do all the brass instruments with their voices. Mm. And I just thought it might be an idea to listen to 20 seconds or so of them doing that live. This is off live killers, so you can you can find it. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, imagine I... watching them do that. You could so imagine Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan doing that, couldn't you? Yes, <laughs> Just... yes, exactly. Yeah, they have that. They have that in their arsenal. They have yeah. that ability. It's amazing. Well, uh, I think now would be a good time uh, for a man who is guaranteed to blow us, blow our minds. It is Simon Says. Guaranteed to blow your mind. I got there. Yeah, blow your minds rather than blow us, which I <laughs> blow my not nose, prepared actually. to do. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, th- this is this is good timing because I would like to um, share with you uh, something that was on the uh, re-release back in 2011, which was an Ooh. early acoustic take of Dreamers Ball that they, they shared. Which, so this is just Freddie Bryan and Roger. Um, and so it's a slightly different version of the song, which is nice. But what I like about it is that Roger is playing drums with brushes, which is very apt for this song, which he then doesn't do on the actual recording. And I'm I'm trying to think if there is a single Queen track where Roger plays the drums with brushes, which is a very, you know, kind of bluesy jazz thing to do. But um, Yeah, Charlie Watts would do that. Yeah, but I don't think he does. And I think it's sad because he's clearly very good at it, as you're about mm. to hear. So, um, yeah. Here's a little bit. What a treat. Thank you. Of this. I used to be your baby, used to be your pride and joy. You used to take me dancing just like any other boy. But now you found another partner You left me like a broken toy It's someone else you're taking Someone else you're playing to Honey, though I'm making Just know what I have to do Go to sleep and dream I'm with you 
Oh, lovely. That is lovely. Have yeah, we talked cool. about that, that song before where we're just imagining the end of a night and the band are left on stage, you know, have it in a ballroom and the waiters are just clearing a few tables. There might be a couple hmm. of drunks left and the band are just playing that one for themselves. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for I think we evening. talked about that for My Melancholy Blues, but yeah. it absolutely applies here. Hmm. Uh, it's very much like the ties are yeah. half open. You know what I mean? And yeah. yeah, they're all a little bit slushed. It's it's just, it's a, it's a, such an evocative. And, and like Sue says, you know, the, the, um, the uh, uh, Brian's just on fire on this album. Yes. <laughs> it's killing mm. it. It's a, very eclectic man. I think there he's he's using uh, like uh, gypsy jazz chords. Mm. I think like ah. so it sounds like sort of Django Reinhardt, sort of really, 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 really slowed down. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I what's gypsy jazz chords? You lost well, gypsy jazz chords. If you ever watched Django Reinhardt playing, okay, um, it, it's just a sort of. It's hard to explain without a guitar, mm-hmm. but it, you can just sort of do it really, really fast and sort of mix it in with finger picking. But it's a really beautiful sound. I think he's, I mean, that's just a demo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, ideally, you'd play that on a different guitar than he's using there, I think. Right. Um, you'd use a proper sort of French uh, acoustic. They're oh. very, very expensive. Oh, right. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, well, while you get your guitar, John, um, <laughs> where can you find that version? Is that yeah? That was one of the bonus tracks on the 2011 re-releases. On the, right. Okay. Yeah, yes. Great. So that's where you can find that, listeners. It's worth tracking down. Um, I noticed something there, Suze, on that demo, where mm. the very first line I thought Brian had sung it, and actually then I noticed that Freddie was sort of singing in a Brian way. Oh. Um because Brian's got quite a light, airy sound. Yeah. So yeah, very possible Freddie was doing that because in in, in the same way as um, it works so much better singing "All Dead, All Dead" with Brian singing yes. it. Yes. Yes. Um, Freddie's voice can often be too heavy for that kind of a bit overwhelming uh, that kind yeah. of sound. So he was probably hanging back on yeah. this track, letting a little more air through. It was a very beautiful version of that song. I love it to pieces. Uh, sorry, ju- just to clear up that fact, mm-hmm. uh, the guitar I'm talking about is a, a Selma Macaferry or a, uh. just a Macaferry. And you get, uh, there's two main types, which is a Petit Bouche and a Grand Bouche. Big, big and, and little mouth. Yeah, ah. yeah, because the... the um, oh, I've got the, a picture of one, yeah. The hole on the Petit Bouche is a small oval one. And on right. the Grand Bouche is the big oval, uh, is the big crescent yes. one, the sort of half moon right. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only 200 of them. There's exactly 200 of them. No, there's less than 200 known surviving versions of the wow. guitar, but my guitar teacher had one. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I was a kid. Amazing. And they have a very, they have a beautiful, beautiful sound. And I think mm. the, the Grand Bouche looks gorgeous with that huge half moon. Um, hole in it wow wow and brian definitely played that did he well i don't know i I mean he wouldn't have been playing one of the originals but i apologies to brian if he is playing that sort of guitar but on that little acoustic demo we heard it would sound amazing on one of those right right i bet roger's got one he's got a million guitars oh really oh he's got loads of guitars he loves them he collects them doesn't he well it's interesting this album you see lots of songs where 
the traditional people aren't playing the traditional instruments. I don't know if that has a sort of reflection on how the album hangs together, but you've got John playing guitars on his song and Roger playing most of the instruments on a couple of his songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he certainly does on Fun It. Well, actually, I think Roger tends to do this a bit on his tracks. He shared the vocals with Freddie. Uh, this is the next track, so we're going back into the works. Uh, the next track on the album is Fun It by Roger Taylor. Um, and, uh, yeah, Roger shares the vocals with Freddie on, on this one, but... Um, he played most of the instruments, like John was saying, including the guitars and the uh, the drum pads. Um, and the thing I love about this track is it is pure disco from a guy who said he didn't really like disco much uh, two years before they did Another One Bites the Dust, three years before they did Hot Space. Um, and mm. it's like the, the song builds, it really builds. And by the end of it, it's pretty rocky. But actually, uh, I thought I'd play the opening because it's so very disco. Shun it or do you fun it? Um, I do a little of both, depending on my mood. No, this song's, uh, I think it's important as like a legacy track because so okay. much of where Queen went after this comes from fun it. Um, but I think that's probably the most interesting thing about the track. It's interesting to think of it in terms of obviously another one bites the dust, but a lot of Freddie's solo stuff. Um, yeah. I think it's heavily inspired by this. Freddie's voice works on club. Yeah, and he music. really loves it. He can like really um, <laughs> yeah. get down into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, like, he leans it. into it. Yeah, yeah, he enjoys it. He does. Mm. Um, uh, John, are you are you more shut it than fun it? Well, I think it's the first Roger Taylor song that sounds like a Roger Taylor solo song. Nice. Mm. Okay. So I think this could easily have been on. Strange Frontier or Fun in Space or Shove It. Mm. Uh, shove It. It does sound like a Shove It track. It actually, does sound like a cross, cross Shove album. It track. Yeah. It's a very, very Roger, Roger song as opposed to a Queen Roger song. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's fair. Um, I'm actually going to ask you, Simon, uh, for an opinion on Fun It. Well, it's difficult to know what else to add to that because I think it, uh, you, you've all nailed it on the head. It's It feels like a song that has come three years ahead of where Queen... Mm got to 
So if this had been on the Hot Space album, I, I think none of us would have batted an eyelid. Um, I just find it fascinating that it's sort of it. It's inspired and driven by Roger, who <laughs> who famously complained, you know, about the Hot Space mm. and his drums were made yeah. to sound how he yeah. didn't like sounding it, and yet here he is. But it feels like he'd got a new toy with the electric drums, just as they in their infancy and got inspired by it and, and exactly. had a play. So what for him was perhaps a nice little distraction and a, just a diversion, a, a nice curiosity, ended up becoming becoming the, the main sound of Queen for an album. He's mm. Probably, if he'd known his time, he might not have done it again. <laughs> That's a good point. I think at the time it would have felt quite innovative and cutting edge for him. I think. Yeah, and I think he's just a bit of fun, uh, the clues in the title. It, yeah. Also. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Roger Taylor songs, mm. so... I obviously love this song. I love the riff. I think it's fantastic. It is a little bit silly, but I don't mind that at all. No. At all. No. And when you've got when you've got John, you know, forlornly looking at a girl across a beach, and there's <laughs> Rogers going, ah, "Let's have fun." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sums the two of them up, doesn't it? Really. <laughs> Come on, mate. It's Wednesday. You haven't seen her. Let's have fun. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now John's doing nice electric slides on his bass, and it's cool. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right. Well, let's get uh, to the John Robbins theme. Uh, Leaving home ain't easy. singing all the vocals on this number Freddie's not on this track um, and Suze did you know that that little bridge bit that we came in with there, mm. that Brian's voice was sped up for that okay I wondered kind of how sounds they... almost female right yeah yeah, I, yeah I've always thought it was meant to be a female voice yeah um, yeah yeah and that's uh, how they achieved that it's interesting as well because it's that that's what he's hearing in his head so it's like a memory yes of course um, of course do you, do you connect with the track? Yeah, very much. Um, I think this is one of the only Queen songs where... Huh, it's weird. It's kind of got this air of resignation to it. Mm. You don't find in songwriting in general. I think it's just really smart. Um, and if someone came to me with this song going, hey, do you want to hear this song I've written? I think I'd be worried about them. <laughs> They're definitely going through something. 
Yeah. It feels really like this is a song that could be released now. Equally, yeah. it could have been released in like a mid '60s Beatles album. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. ageless. Still, yeah, it is ageless. It is time is fair. That's fair. That's fair. So, John, you've talked about leaving home and easy a lot over the previous pods, and now we are here. Uh, forgive me for being a little bit glib, <laughs> a little bit earlier, because obviously this was a very potent connection for you for quite a difficult period of your life. How has your relationship with the song, uh, has it changed at all over the years, or does it always just bring you back to that moment? No, it always just takes me back to being a being a kid and moving out right. of my uh, the first house I lived in, which I lived until I was about eleven or twelve. Right. But I, um, it's interesting. I when I interviewed Brian, he said that he sort of doesn't do solo touring anymore because he didn't enjoy being both a singer and a guitarist. And it's weird because in that song, when he's singing both parts, in the in the main bit, he's right in the middle of his range, isn't he, Suze? He's mm-hmm. right, he's very comfortable. Yes. But then you can hear his voice in the background is sort of that, that yeah, straining. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... But I, I think that works on this song because it's quite it's such a fragile voice mm. that it fits with the persona of the person who's singing. Um, but I wonder if he perhaps found that restriction a bit limiting on s- sort of um, other, like later tours with solo albums. But it, it definitely works here. And I think it's mm. important that it's not Freddie because Freddie's voice is too strong. So why mm. would why would a strong person be? this sort of unsure about themselves yes he, hmm. freddie didn't do resigned no <laughs> he's a sensitive soul isn't he outright mm. oh he certainly is <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean i've got to admit i'm sorry to say this is um for me personally and this will get me cancelled Suze, because i know for a fact that queen fans love this track and i respect that fully but it's a skipper for me oh i'm a skippy I'm a skippy on this one. I find uh, its forlornness is just a bit off on the pace for me. Uh, and that sort of, is it a sitar sound? But that sort of, well, 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 that sort of thing is... The sitar's on jealousy. Yeah, that's Get a... your facts right. <laughs> well, this is probably a wah a guitar. <laughs> it's a guitar sitar. Yeah, it's probably the wah. Or whatever he's used to sort of produce that sort of... I think he's using a volume pedal. Okay. Simple volume. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. I see. Yeah. But that that particular sound is not one that I. I, I, It's for some reason I don't gel with it. I don't gel with it, um, and I'm allowed to have that opinion. Thank you. Well, I I think that this album, you know, to be perfectly frank, is the first album we've had to deal with where there are skippers. Mm. Yeah. And everyone's got different skippers. Skippers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm very mindful of that. Like, if fun it is a skip it, the skipper for a lot of people, it isn't for me. Uh, it's abs- it's like the song that I would pull out and put on a compilation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what I love about this band is that that eclectic. That it doesn't matter which song you pick up, there will always be someone who ardently defends it. Like you could pull out "My Baby Does Me" off the Miracle, and someone on, on in the Twitterverse will go, "Shut up! It's their best song." Mm. I love it. I love that <laughs> about this band. Um, I, well, I would skip Bicycle Race. Right. And if you can't beat them. Ooh. And you did. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was there last week. Actually, you did do that. Yeah, did do that. Uh, yeah, you were like, yeah, no, there's too many songs on that track that I don't. Need but to I, I think about. it's 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 testament because Queen don't do bad songs. They don't do no. songs that, as you say, there will always be people that like those songs because they're never bad. But mm. you know, it would be remarkable if they if you look at the entire canon of Queen music and there isn't something on there that wasn't quite for you. That you know, mm. the odds of that must be phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure the band have songs that they would yeah, skip. I'm sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Brian and Roger would skip the first half of Hot Space. Yeah. <laughs> I was, was going to say there was a moment. There was an interview I saw Brian doing with someone in Australia, Australia breakfast news when he was releasing Back to the Light, and uh, the, obviously the Australian host was super excited. He was like, uh, you know, my favourite track out of all of them is Cool Cat. I really like Cool Cat. Uh, apologies to Australians. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and Brian went, that's okay, you're allowed to like Cool Cat. <laughs> I like Cool Cat. <laughs> I love Cool Cat, it's great. But I just love the way you said that. You're allowed to like Cool Cat. <laughs> um, um, listen, let's play a game. It's surely time for us to play a game. Play the game, play the game, play the game. Producer Sam, what have you found for us this week? Our main question today comes from Bethany from Arkansas. Which is the only American state to begin with A and not end with A. Oh. It's a question that's kind of, the topic has been sort of discussed a few times on the pod, but I want to focus on it a little bit. Bethany wanted to know what lesser known or deep cut Queen track you would love to see used in film or TV. For example, Bethany really wants to see Four and Mjolnir bash up some bad guys to hammer to fool. Uh, <laughs> and on the back of that, I would also, just me personally, would be curious to know if there was a movie you would have loved Queen to have done a score for that they didn't have a chance to, oh, maybe. That's like nice. they did with Flash Gordon and Highlander. Mm. Mm. Their scores are so distinctive that it'd be interesting to see one on like a, a weird arty film. There's a Scorsese film called After Hours from 1985. And I just can imagine them doing a really weird and very complimentary score for that. So yes. only, uh, people can only That's imagine that if they've answer. seen After Hours, which is a very strange film that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no one's seen. But if they did it, I think it would be good. <laughs> I'd like to have seen my melancholy blues in a Woody Allen film. Oh, in one of the jazz clubs, maybe the one that Annie Hall sings when she goes, oh, yeah, um, that's does nice. her little. See, this is the difference set. right there between me and you, John. That's such a sophisticated and sensitive observation and answer. And I am at, well, I think I would have preferred Queen to do Iron Man instead of ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> they did Iron Eagle. Yeah. Well, they, they had one song on Iron Eagle. Yeah. I think Brian would have liked to have done Star Wars. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, but then it works when it's sort of—I don't know—the quirkier stuff, isn't it? But yeah, what well, track? Come on, tracks that we oh, love to o- see turn up in films. Ogre battle in Shrek. Oh, oh yes, there it is. There is what we're talking about, John. <laughs> that right there is what we are talking Perfect. about. Perfect. Yes, Seven Seas of Rye on an advert for. Cod liver oil? I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it's all just off the top of my head here, Sue. Have you got one? Um, we know when that big building starts falling apart in Never Mending Story. 
<laughs> Stone Cold Crazy. <laughs> Do you know what? Stone Cold Crazy does turn up in... Um, Cruella. Cruella. Oh, does Thank it? You, Sam. And I it haven't is seen that yet. You should check out Cruella. I think you would love it. it yeah, but I'll just be annoyed because really it's not me. It, yeah, she is a bit <laughs> very, you. Very she is bit, a bit you. I'm very bitter about Emma Stone because she's we've got... Um, She's sort of uh, got your career. Similarly strange faces. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, I should have done that. <laughs> when I did uh, media studies, I used Stone Cold Crazy as a soundtrack to our gang- gangster film. Brilliant. Ooh, that's good. Well. Nice, nice, nice. Is that the one where you were smoking cigarettes all the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Well... We ruined that question, Bethany. It was a <laughs> no, brilliant we, question. We did the ultimate answers. We need to believe in ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We do. It's true. It's true. Listen, let's uh, finish listening to the wonderful tracks on this album. Um, we've only got uh, a couple of tracks left on this side. The next one is uh, the huge monster track, Don't Stop Me Now. <laughs> Well, uh, listeners, I would direct you to episode eight of our Greatest Hits mini-pod, where we spend a good 15 minutes chatting about Don't Stop Me Now. It's a cracking little ep, where we talk about, you know, what was going on in Freddie's social life, and uh, we talked a bit about Brian Solo and um, how the original version was a little bit heavier. Uh, Simon, I think you brought uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie version where the guitars crept back in. It's a good chat we have. It's a good chat. I tell you, it's worth checking out. Um, But we're going to chat a little bit more about it while we're here. The one thing I didn't get to do properly on that is, um, obviously, Don't Stop Me Now, Freddie Mercury, massive single. But at the time, actually, it got to number nine in in the UK charts. Would you like to know what was else what was going on in the charts? Oh that yeah, week? that's yeah? a good idea. Yeah. This is the week beginning the twenty fifth of March, nineteen seventy nine. It's a good game. I love this. Is it just nine so Grease 10... songs again? <laughs> yeah. Well, it isn't actually. It's oh, interesting okay. actually, good. but I I think there's some real proper stuff in here. But you can sort of it gives you a real flavour of what was going on in the zeitgeist at that time. So uh, at number ten, keep on dancing by Gary's Gang. I Gary's hope game. that isn't what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, at number nine, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Uh, at number eight, Turn the Music Up by the Players Association. Uh, maybe it was a football song. Who knows? Uh, seven, <laughs> Can You Feel the Force by The Real Thing. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course, this is just after Star Wars, right? <laughs> uh, at number six, I Want Your Love by Chic. That's a huge track. Um, uh, number five, Lucky Number by Lenny Lovich. I, I, or Lean Low, I don't know that. At number four, Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Uh, massive track. Yeah, okay. uh, at number three, Something Else Slash 
frigging in the rigging. <laughs> you know the bands? Can it's you know six the bands? places better than Don't Stop Me Now, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. frigging in the rigging. Yeah, frigging in the rigging by the Sex Pistols. And oh. number two, In the Navy by the Village oh. People. It's funny, isn't it? Frigging in the rigging's okay if you know it's by the Sex Pistols. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, in the Navy it. by the Village People. And at number one, the enormous I Will Survive by Gloria ah. Gaynor. Oh, I did not know that. You know, oh, interesting. The bane of every karaoke night for me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and uh, you know, look, it has gone on to be arguably one of their top, you know, biggest three or four songs. Like, it's up there, right? You know, I mean, it's three times platinum all over the world and all mm. the rest of it. I'd say it's played more often in public than any other Queen song. Yeah, I think you're that. right, yeah. yeah. It's their most versatile song as well, because you can play oh, yeah. it at a wedding and a funeral, you can play it at a birthday <laughs> party. Um, and it, you could, you put it on at a funeral and people still go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> people, yeah, it's like, true. It, it's, I don't know how it does it. It's got just the perfect balance. I mean, you wouldn't have it as they're bringing the coffin into the church, I would. would you? <laughs> I think I'd do it as one last wacky prank. And then it's late as they take you back out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's too late. <laughs> yeah, I get them to I take the right. funeral. I, take, I get them to take my coffin out of the funeral early and then just play dead on time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I know your epitaph. I was nothing if not punctual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point, John. It is, it is, it is that Queen song that, isn't necessarily like everyone always thinks of Bohemian Rhapsody first, maybe, or Bites the Dust, probably, but um, that thing of Don't Stop Me Now will come out and everyone reacts the same way. Absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I think we've talked a lot about Don't Stop Me Now. Do you, did you have anything else you wanted to add on that, John? Actually, well, I'm team hashtag live killers version because it's got more Brian in it, yeah. yeah. And there's, yeah. there's so little Brian in this song, I, I sort of feel it's not Queen's fault, but it's been hen-dude to death for me. It has been. Uh, don't yeah. stop me now. Um, but It's a good song I, for sort of getting ready for a night out, too, isn't it? Yeah, but then you'll hear it four times on your night out as well. <laughs> so you might not want to listen to it before you go. Yeah. I, I just wish it was there was more Brian involved. Because <laughs> it is quite a rocky track yeah. to an extent, but it just feels like it doesn't have a rock... Backing. But the weird thing is, if they released it now, it would chart higher than it did at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, actually... Um... Could they not promote it? Is it one of those songs where they weren't available to promote it or something like that? Well, they would have been on tour when it came out. It just um... feels like they were a big enough band for a song like this to have been a bigger hit. Bigger hit it's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty jam-packed with big songs, like. What time, frigging in the rigging? It's a huge song. It's a huge song. It's very much in the zeitgeist that one. Um, <laughs> I don't actually. I've used zeitgeist twice in this uh, pod, and I don't know what it means. Um, uh, yeah, McFly covered the song in uh, first oh, yes. Portsmouth in two thousand and six, and it got to number one, uh, beating out James Morrison, Lily Allen, The Smile, uh, Shakira, and Wyclef Jean or Clips Don't Lie, and Rihanna's Unfaithful. Yeah, it's up to all that. One interesting thing I'd say about it, it was only performed live with the whole band during that 79 tour, uh, with its last performance happening on the Crazy Tour. Um, yeah, oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, that is that is interesting. They don't do it now, do they? Do they have it with Adam? Do they, yes. Do they do the track? He does, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah, big time. They must do. They must do. Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, there's a very very good version of it from the Isle of Wight Festival. You sort of can't not do it. It's that thing when you're looking at those top, those biggest Queen songs, like We Are the Champions of Bohemian Rhapsody, they're the ones where you're like, yeah, they are overplayed, though, and this is one of them. Um, All right, let's get to more of that jazz, this final track here. We've got Roger Taylor playing most of the instruments and singing all the vocals on the last track of this album. So let's have a little listen uh, to sort of the end section of the song. Really. Put on I really like this song. Obviously, it's a Roger Taylor song. I love it. Um, it's uh, uh, very interesting that it includes that little uh, medley of all the and a whole load of tracks off the album. You're hearing uh, Dead on Time, Bicycle Race, Mr. Five, You Can't Beat Them, Join Them, uh, Fun and Fat Bottom Girls in there. Uh, and it's kind of a nice way to end the album. It's actually quite lyrically, it's quite a bleak song. Uh, where do you stand on? This track, Sue, is it your What's the story behind this song? Does anyone, Simon, do you know the story behind how this song ended up being the last song on the album? How did this montage of the songs from the album end up within the song? Because I find it quite a baffling choice to end the album on because it's, it's all like, Roger. Yeah. It's like Roger snuck back into the studio before the album's gone to press, <laughs> yeah. put this song on it, not told anyone. <laughs> 
as like a prank or because he doesn't like the album. It's quite, it's not quite clear what his target is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one because I don't have a problem with the song. I think it's good, uh, but I, I can't quite understand how it ended up as the last song on the album and why there's a bit where there's a montage of their previous songs on it. Yeah, Simon. Yeah, no, I don't know, actually. <laughs> don't just sit there staring blankly. You have it's to ask on being... behalf of the band immediately. <laughs> It'd probably be one of those things where it was like, we all decided there should be a montage of songs at the end, and we all love this song the most <laughs> on the album or something. But, yeah, I um, find it a confusing song. Yeah, no, it, it is definitely a curiosity, isn't it? And um, mm. I think all I can say is I would love to have been a fly on the wall when they were discussing doing that because you know I, much as it's a great idea that Roger snuck in and did it without anyone realising <laughs> I suspect they did um, and <laughs> were part of it um, there probably then would have just been a massive row as to which songs actually got included in the, the medley um, which ones got left out. I just I'm not sure who who he is in the song so it reminds me a bit of um, Sheer Heart Attack the song when you're like is he trying to appeal to a disaffected youth who is who are sort of tired of the same old music. And if so, is it like a sort of trying to uh, answer the questions set by the Sex Pistols? Is it another one of those sorts of songs where they're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it? Because were you to be that disaffected youth tired of the same old jazz would another queen album be top on your list of <laughs> sort of things to get you out of that funk but then he says only football gives us thrills rock and roll just pays the bills so then he's that disaffected person mm. yeah but I, I think ennui can exist at any stage of your life John. no but it's, i'm not saying he can't have ennui i'm just saying that it's not clear what he's got ennui about and whether it's actually him all the way through the song also, I think that that uh, medley at the end is just sounds like it's so t- sort of tacked on. It's really making yeah. sense. It's like they went, "Oh, we'll have that as the last song on the album, so we better do something to make that the reason." It, I, yeah, none of it makes sense. But there are hints at it, like I said, throughout the album. In towards the end of songs, they're they're putting in little jokes and odd noises. Mm. Yeah, they're trying it's, stuff. But it's, I mean, this is this actually is a Roger Taylor solo album, a solo song because yes. Brian's not on it. Yes. The guitar yeah. doesn't sound like him. Roger's singing it, playing the drums, playing the instruments. Mm. It's odd that the band have gone, okay, the end of the album can just be sort of Roger doing something. Mm. Well, Roger did that on Drowse. Uh, it's, you know, it's not that wasn't the end Roger of the album, though. Yeah, it's not it the, the last track on the album. And it sounded like it okay. should have been on that album. I'm going to have to start Googling now. Which Roger Taylor tracks finish an album, um, but yeah, okay, uh, that that's fair. I think uh, the things that strike me, about, given that this is a song I actually do like, I, I love the riff, um, mm. and I love the vocals on it. Uh, I, I did spot what you were talking about earlier, Suze, where he flips across his. Range. Yeah, you There's can hear the two distinct voices. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm really learning something. <laughs> You know, three years in, um, and uh, and and the other thing is, he's a very good guitar player. Mm. Like, I really like the guitars on this track. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the uh, the medley is uh, a little bit jarring, and I think maybe intentionally so. I hope not. I don't. I, I just don't believe that Queen would do that through any kind of incompetence. That they're doing it because 
they intend oh, yeah, to yeah, they've made a choice, a, a but rescue. I don't understand yeah. the choice. <laughs> well, all I can say about that is the first time I heard this album, and I, I heard that track for the first time, and I still remember that happening. And me going, what's happened? Is my, is my tape... Mm-hmm. Is my tape... What's happened to my tape? Is my tape player broken? Mm-hmm. What's happened? And the thing is, what you're doing is, at the end of an album, you're ensuring that everyone listening to it is still on their toes when you do that, right? I mean... <laughs> You just well, it's just there, there to make sure you're still awake. <laughs> what, that's, it's no essentially one does a teacher that. dropping a book on your desk. That's when the they whole see point. You, right? you, you, you put your favourite Christa Berg album on, John, and I tell you, by the last track, he doesn't care whether you're alive or dead. <laughs> I, Roger I just, does. I just think it shows that the album was done on a very short time scale. Mm. I yes. like the I like mm. Roger's vocals. I like his guitar. I like the little arpeggio in the background. I like that it's sort of quite bleak. I I yeah. do really like it. I just I don't know what it's doing here because is there it's, a better song to finish the album. Yeah, another song that, isn't, that <laughs> yeah. they haven't didn't they write because they let Roger Ball. put this on. Dreamers yeah. Ball, you think would have been a better. Chorus that would have been such a great. That would have been like Melancholy Blues closing yes. the music of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, there's yeah. quite okay. an interesting discussion that rages online. About about it is that it's sort of Roger expecting a backlash from Queen fans to this album and so the idea Ah. of no more of that jazz is the fans (laughs) saying no more of this please stop so it's a shade song I don't know whether that would fly to me Mm. I don't think the band had that much self-doubt about how things would go that they Mm -hmm. would they would acknowledge that because I think they they always had a belief that what they were doing was was what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Mm. But um, this is an interesting one. Yeah, they didn't they didn't skimp on the production, but I I think maybe I will take that point, John. That that they had a, a shorter recording period mm. for this album, and and they weren't doing the thing that they were doing with News of the World, where it was intentionally so. Mm. You know, and they had a lot of other stuff on their plate. And and, and bear in mind during this period of their career. They're delivering an album a year. Mm. But no one does that these days. No. Right? I yeah. mean, not really. In between but... two no, songs, no. yeah. And it was and the this first is why album... they this is when they stopped doing that, isn't it? Yes. And it was the yeah. first album they yeah. recorded outside of the UK. So it was, you know, all that going yeah. on as well. Yeah. David Bowie sent them off to uh the Jazz Festival in Montreal, was it? Yeah. Well, I hate hate to hate to say this to you, Ro, but 1978, Frank Zappa did two albums. <laughs> and in 1979, he did five. Oh, what is this? We've missed this bit. We didn't get this last week, did we? No. <laughs> right, no. Five yeah, albums a in a, in a you year. A, you make a fine point about quantity versus quality. And, 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 and do you know what? Genuinely, on the last pod, I genuinely believed I missed you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, um, listen, let's get to the exciting bit, folks. It is time to discuss the Queen de la Queen. Made in heaven, made in heaven. Now, we have a two-stage process, John. I'm going to remind you of what, how this works, which is we're going to pick what track goes on the ultimate... Queen de la Queen playlist from this side of the album. Don't Stop Me Now, it's not included. It's already a hit single. People know about three. Which non-single track on this side of the album would you want to put in your Queen de la Queen is what we're asking. And then after that, just for fun, 
we're going to pick our favourite song off the album, just for fun. So let us start with the Prix de la Queen, Suze. Which one, which is your track of the uh, this side of the album? I'm going to choose Leaving Home Ain't Easy. Just, mm. just to spite me? No, because I think, <laughs> yeah. Just to one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> yeah. um, no, because I, I think it's the, the most interesting track on this okay. side of the album. That's a beautiful, beautiful selection. Uh, John, are you in that neck of the woods? Um, it depends what if I'm thinking of the Queen de la Queen as a sort of playlist as a whole, because I think we've got other songs like Dreamers Ball. I, I don't need think to we've... update you on what happened on the last Queen de la Queen, because you sent your vote in for Jealousy, mm. but we didn't tell you which track made it in. No. So you voted for Jealousy, I voted for Mustafa, and these two voted for, um, uh, oh my God, let me entertain you. What? So let me entertain you, quite rightly, has made it into the Queen de la Queen, because it is, like, it's a massive Queen song. It's a big deal in the Queen canon. I think it's right. It's deservedly there. It's not as good as Jealousy, though. <laughs> <laughs> Two yous. <laughs> I don't know. I, do you know what? What's your favourite track on this side of the album, John? <laughs> um, Dreamer's Ball. Fine. <laughs> what about you, Simon? Yeah, Dreamer's Ball all day long. Dreamer's all Ball, day long. right. And uh, mine is um, uh, Dead on Time. Oh, you're Screw out you of guys. your mind. I'm not out of my mind. I <laughs> I am allowed to love a Queen song if I want to. And I love I love Dead on Time. Ro it's loves party. <laughs> Ro thinks party's really good. I don't know. Well, I prefer shit. <laughs> I, I'll go that far. I don't mind parties. Though. I really don't. Not anymore. Um, I did when I first heard it. Um, all right, so uh, uh, that puts Dreamers Ball into the Queen de la Queen playlist, which I think is a correct and wonderful choice. <laughs> well done, us. Yes, we're a great team. <laughs> uh, that 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 is shaping up nicely. That that playlist. Um, let us know if you agree or disagree on our socials at the Queen Pod. Uh, uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, and uh, you can also uh, get involved on Facebook. We've got a lot of noise going on there. Not on TikTok. <laughs> Not on TikTok. It's illegal because um, we're over. Come 25. on then, Suze. What? If you've got to pick one track, this is just for you, just for fun. If you've got to pick one track off the whole album, what is your favourite track? My favourite track on the album is "Let Me Entertain You." Good for you. <laughs> there you go. They, why is John's such a bad, weird face? Simon, what's your favourite track on the whole album? Just so I can see John's face still, let me entertain you. <laughs> yeah, baby! Guess what my favourite track on the album is, John? Oh, God, if it's dead on time, then it's sacked. <laughs> I've written it in advance. I put Dreamer's Ball. Oh, oh lovely oh. story. He's yeah. lying, though, because he just what's picked... Yours? Um... No, I, it was between Dreamer's Ball and Mustafa for me. For my favourite track on the whole album, but my favourite track on this side is Dead on Time. But if Dreamers I had one track on from the side. whole album, it's different, isn't it? Because if you're picking a track from the whole you're album, you're lying on the. I'm not lying. I've written it. I am looking podcast. at these notes, and they are. It is Dreamers Ball slash Mustafa. I don't understand it either. But <laughs> you're allowed to have a different choice for each category. It's the space capsule on this one. It doesn't make you a liar. It just makes you an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> John, what's uh, your favourite track on the whole album? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. You can't uh, pick between... 
I can't pick between jealousy in only seven days at Dreamers Ball and leaving home ain't easy. Mm. I think the ballads have it on this album. They are great. I'm afraid. They are great. Oh, maybe I'll go Fat Bottom Girls. It's such a great riff. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fine, fine. That's your favourite track on the album. I, I'm not even going to get into it. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, there we have it. We finally got to the end of this. <laughs> this glorious investigation. It's taken us a year just to be able to sit down and discuss jazz, and it has been suitably feisty. I've enjoyed <laughs> it. Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed it. It's been great. <clears throat> so um, I think our next uh, podcast is going to be a ranking episode in which we plan to rank uh, B-sides, uh, ah. specifically studio tracks that aren't officially on an album, like uh, A Human Body, uh, I Go Crazy, uh, Hang On In There, tracks like that, mm-hmm. uh, that often appear on the B-sides of singles. I think it's going to be a very cool episode, mm. actually. It's nice to take some time to explore like their super unknown tracks, right? <laughs> mm. um, which is cool. Um, what have you guys got going on at the moment? Anything you guys want to plug? Uh, on June the 12th, you can come to the Crazy Cox in Piccadilly, where I'll be doing my first solo show with a full band at the beautiful Brasserie Zadel venue, and there will be Queen. Hey. Oh, yeah. Great. John, have you got anything going on that you want to... Yeah, well, aside from the, uh, the Brian May episode, yeah, the whole of series of How Do You Cope is being released now. Um, we've already, episodes out, already got uh, Reverend Richard Coles... Oh, wow. Um, uh, Razima Feek and Ruby Wax. But oh there's also episodes to come from Brian and from Gail Porter oh, wow. and from Lem Sisse. Uh, so, y- yes, um, yes, it's an extraordinary story. So, yeah, uh, Governor B. And, uh, yeah, I think there'll be about 13 or 14 episodes by the time the series ends, but... That's out now on BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. Lovely. Yeah. Is that premise behind that essentially addressing, a, is there a particular angle on mental health that you're looking at? It's just discussing with people how they overcome various uh, either mental health problems or mental illness or um, trauma in their life. And series one and two are already up mm-hmm. and available everywhere. So there's interviews with people like George Ezra and Emma Barnett and um, Terry White. So oh, well, lots to yeah. sync. I mean, I wouldn't binge it all in a day. <laughs> I'd no, sort of like maybe stagger it out a bit. Um, yeah. But there is yeah. light amongst the shade. Yeah, of course. Beautiful. Um, all right. Uh, and uh, producer Sam, you're, the single from your kid show is out at the moment, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> the uh, Planet Rock single featuring... Yes. Uh, Brian May and Andy and the uh, Odd Socks. I was a runner yes. on, on the show of that. And uh, yeah, that single is available. Get it. It is great. This is a great track, actually. It's really heavy. I love how heavy Brian made that track for kids. Definitely pick that up. Um, all right. Uh, I think that does us for this week. Uh, I'm looking forward to the, the next one. However, just email us your stories and questions uh to queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com in fact if you can record your question either as audio or video mm. that gives us such production value and it makes it makes us all sound really cool and it's really exciting so yeah please please send us in uh, a little record of yourself asking the question you're dying to ask us 
um, and we will ruin it just like we did with Bethany um, <laughs> earlier on this pod. Um, and just take the time to give us that star rating. We need that star rating on iTunes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I always find a little wisdom in these songs. So don't shun it, guys. Fun it. <laughs> thank you, Sue, Simon, John, and producer Sam. Goodbye. Bye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production. Edited and produced by me, Sam Easton. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com Thanks for listening and see you next time.